are in the grotto pod. I am in the grotto pod, sitting across me with a mouthful of what is it? A power bar or cookie. something? A cookie. A cookie. It's not even noon yet. Five minutes. It's my lunch. Is your friend and my friend Bridget Quinn? Hey. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm taking a drink. Uh, let me share a little story with you. Mm. With me or with everyone? Everyone who's listening. All right. You, my sister, maybe a couple other people. My brother. Your he brother. listens. My little brother listens. Uh, hey, Brandon. Maybe, maybe last week's guest, Dennis McNally, because he was excited that our guest today is Ben Marks. Woohoo! Oh, I'm excited about that because he's a mystery man. I he think. is a total mystery man. Let me tell you a story that makes me think of Ben Marks. Okay. So I am at the gym before coming here, mm. as I am wont to do. Look at you. There's a gym a couple blocks away. There I am. Uh, I finish my workout. I'm getting ready to hit the showers. And as I start to undress in the locker room, surrounded my, by other... Is this the kind of story you should be telling right now? dressed men, maybe. Uh, the replacement song, oh. Can't Hardly Wait, the version oh God, that doesn't have it. the horns comes on, which I hadn't heard until recently. <sighs> it's so fantastic. So I stood there listening. Oh, my God. And I, I was trying to take my workout clothes off without taking my headphones off. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. So that was very complicated, and I probably looked like an idiot. And there was a millennial across from me just sitting there kind of like, hmm, what's that guy doing? And I thought, God, I want to tell this guy how great this song is. But I thought, the last thing a millennial wants to hear is another middle-aged Gen Xer telling him how great the replacements are. So I didn't. But I thought, mm-hmm. you know, people from Ben's generation... Right. A little bit older than us have right. the same problem. Right. That they've spent their lives telling us how great the Rolling Stones are. I mean, I used to hate people like that when I was in my teens and 20s. That's how I got my start writing, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about how much I hated oh, baby boomers. Yeah. And then ramming their culture down our throat. I've grown out of that a little bit, I think. I'm a little more sanguine about it. Mm. I'm really excited to hear. So Ben has... Ben's, you know... We better say who Ben is. Ben Marks is the um, general manager of Collectors Weekly, which is... I raised my finger because I wanted to say something. Okay. Collectors Weekly. Sounds so staid. Sounds so... No, it sounds like it would be about porcelain figurines. It it does. And sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. But it's so interesting. I mean, okay, I am not kidding. If you have not read Collectors Weekly, you have to check it out. It's like long-form journalism about history, which I'm super into. And if you you are a fan of the long-form website, which I am, you probably have already read some Collectors Weekly pieces because they pop up there all the time. Right, right. Here at the Grotto, super good writers. Here at the Grotto, Collectors Weekly is a bit of a mystery. Oh yeah, it's mystery. Uh huh. They have an office here. Right. It's big. It's big. There's f- how many? Four or five of them? Three, I think. Only three? Yeah. It's a big office though. Sitting in there. Well, because they have their archives too. Right. Because they got to study stuff. Right. You know, research to figure out the stuff they're they're talking about. They also um, always have fresh fruit and often sit on exercise balls. And eat lunch together. I know. They I feel like they're like together. a real office. Yes. Of three. Right. And I knew Ben as someone who comes into lunch as pleasant. Uh, in fact... Rye, I'm using. Rye, but so low-key yeah. that it took me months before I realized the guy... So here at the Grotto, we have a picture on the wall of uh, everyone's picture except mine because I'm lazy and I haven't gotten around to it. Oh, my gosh. That is insane. It is insane. I can't even believe you're saying But the picture of Ben, he's wearing sunglasses yeah. holding what I thought were bongos and turned out to be ping-pong paddles. But I thought, <laughs> that guy's crazy. That's not the low-key guy yeah. that I see sitting at lunch. But Ben does have this air of, you know, he's been around. He's seen a few things. We said, Ben, send us some information so we'll know what to talk about. He sends us just a few links that led to more links that led to more links. Led to me thinking, 
Oh, he's one of those guys. None of them surprising. I mean, in a way. For me, surprising, because I thought, well, oh, low-key guy, whatever. Yeah, but he has clearly lived oh. in San Francisco a long time. And and, and had the adventures that some baby go with that. Yeah. have. And he's really dedicated his life, I wouldn't say to our is Arcana? Arc- Arcana? Little details. He's yeah. interested in little details. I, You know, I guess in a way it's like nerd culture as it once was, by which I mean not geek culture, but nerd culture where you do the super deep dive on uh, whatever very, you're into. Yeah, like whatever is, it is. He's involved in the Rock Poster Society. Is that yeah. what it's called? Rock, the Rock yeah. Poster Society, which... They have shows with old 60s and 70s. I mean, we must be living in the Paris of rock poster stuff, right? For a time, I think this was the only place they came from. I know Seattle in the 90s had their own type of stuff. Uh, He worked at Sunset Books and... uh, was it special publications or something? We'll get yep. that out of him. He was there for a long time. Sunset used to do a lot of publications. They might still. I don't know. I'm interested. He's, on his resume, he has that he worked at InfoSeek, which I also sort of worked at I don't Infoseek. know what that is. It was an early dot-com that later oh. got bought by Disney. Oh, and that sounds lucrative. I worked in Seattle at ESPN. Our parent company got folded into them. I mean, ESPN has been part of everything. Yes, and Ben also was, you know, a lobster fisherman, as one as one does, as one does in Maine. He ran mm-hmm. a restaurant in Seattle, as you know, people sometimes. <laughs> was do. there a connection, like a seafood connection, between those we'll two find things? Out, okay. won't we? <laughs> Just curious. <laughs> so we have a lot of questions. I, okay, I have a question that is maybe impure. Oh, here it comes. How does Collectors Weekly do mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we'll find a little bit about the structure. I know that yeah. they have a parent company that's an auction house. So that that explains a lot. Maybe porcelain figurines. But, I, I mean, know. really, they are putting out some of the best long-form journalism in the country. Uh, that's not cheap. Yeah. They have a full-time staff when other people can't. How, right. how are they doing How's it? How's it working? Mm-hmm. And also, for me, you know, one of, the interest, one of the things that interests me about Ben's life is sometimes writing, freelance writing, uh, any kind of writing is something that you come upon after living a life of right. seemingly random. Right. You know, seeming hopping from lily yeah. pad to lily pad, you end up as a writer. On that, you know, looking at his stuff, he tried a lot of stuff. Writing, boom. Let's find out how he got there. Yeah, definitely. We've talked long enough. Let's, All right, let's, let's just go get Ben. Let's go get him. All right, Ben. Welcome. I had to turn the. I had to turn record because otherwise we would have divulged all your secrets without We've been chatting. Oh, being yeah. recorded. Yeah. Uh, ben Marks is general manager. Yeah. Of Collectors Weekly, so I want to start there. Okay. Collectors Weekly, because okay. as we said in the intro, it's a little bit of a mystery to those of us here in the grotto. We share space with you. We well, see- we're writers. I mean... It's an economic mystery. Let's, put it that. Let's be specific. It's an economic model we do not understand right. because it seems... It, I can see that it's thriving. The writing is certainly thriving. Right. There's three full-time employees. Uh, that's a pretty great thing. Yeah. Yeah. We had articles uh, yesterday, I guess it was, picked up by Dig and Fark and yeah. a bunch of places. Uh, Hacker News. I see it. I see your articles reproduced all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. And you've won some awards in the last few years. Isn't that I, true? I don't know. Yeah, I, I feel like Lisa did we, Lisa won an award. Yeah. You guys show up on yeah. long reads all the time. Yeah. Yeah. In my own research, I have used Collectors Weekly articles. Well, do you want me to just tell you the story? Of yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, so Collectors Weekly was founded by um, a guy named Dave Margulius. 
who lives over in Berkeley now. He Surprise. Was, <laughs> he was living in on Potrero Hill at the time. Also makes sense. Okay, yeah. And um, Dave was collecting old telephones. And uh, he had st- he he was looking for somebody to help him put a, a website together. So he went to a WordPress meetup and met this guy who was in high school at the time named Andrew Sutherland. How long ago was this? Uh, ten year, oh, years ago ish. Wow. Yeah. And um, and so Dave got Andrew to help him build his website. High school and kid. High school kid, yeah. And nice. they would, like, do it around, you know, Andrew's parents' kitchen table. I mean, you know, it was it's, – it's really a cool story, actually. And um, in the meantime, Andrew had this uh, uh, app that he had created for himself to help him study for tests because he was having trouble in French over at Albany High School. Oh, my God. So I he created this. this thing called Quizlet. Which is now huge. Yeah, my kids, yeah. my kids use it all right, the time. Right. So you know. So Dave said wow. to Andrew, "Well, maybe I can help you with this Quizlet thing." And meanwhile, Dave's idea about telephones was branching out into all sorts of collectibles, um, because Dave just likes old stuff, like yeah. a lot of us do. Um, and what Dave realized was that, which gets to the mystery of the business, what Dave realized was that a lot of this stuff was on eBay and that you could become an, e- uh, an affiliate of eBay, anyone can, and that way you could write an article about an old telephone, for example. Mm-hmm. Google would see that article and go, oh, here's some content we've never seen before. We're going to send people to this page. And then the people going to that page would see, guess what, the article and a whole bunch of old telephones that are available, which, if you're a collector of old telephones, doesn't seem like an ad to you. That's kind of what you want to say. Right, you're looking, <laughs> you're looking for it. You're looking for right. it, exactly. So it was a way to have a business model that was entirely contextual exist in a symbiotic way with original content. And when I um, started working with Dave was about nine years ago, and it was just um, me and Dave and a couple of part-time people um, in a office over on, um, uh, gosh, Howard, I believe it was, um, t- like almost the size of this room. I'm a little bit bigger. <laughs> well, um, and then Andrew would be, and then Andrew would be on Skype. At MIT in his dorm room, oh um, you know, and we, yeah, right. So, um, so yeah. So what happened was is that um, the site grew from telephones, and it grew from a handful of uh, things people collect. Now we have around seventeen hundred plus, and uh, Lisa and Hunter and I have all written articles about all of those things. And some of them are longer, some of them are shorter than others. Mm-hmm. And then we also write these um, longer pieces generally that um, get picked up by third-party sites and they send us traffic and that's good for our SEO, I'm told. And um, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of, yeah, so it, it's... Were you, it's an amazing gig. I love you, it. Were you purchased at some point? Oh, yeah. In December, well, I'd been, our, I'd been telling the folks at Quizlet because over the past few years, Quizlet's been growing by leaps and right. bounds, which is great. And is Andrew collect- still part of? Quizlet? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. oh yeah. That's he was so interviewed cool. in Forbes the other day. Fantastic. Yeah, Andrew's a great guy. He's a really good guy. But Dave's no longer part of the uh, uh, company. He's on the board of Quizlet, um, and we were purchased by a website in Sweden called Barnaby's, 
which is a auction right. aggregator. Yeah. Really nice people. And, um, you know, I mean, to give you an idea of what it's like to work for Barnaby's, I was asking the, the COO there a question about HR and stuff like that. And he was like, you know, we're not going to be able to – you know, do those things for you from Stockholm. You're in San Francisco. We're far away. Um, whatever system you were using, keep using it. This whole relationship's based on trust. And I thought to myself, well, I'm going to live up to that, you know. That's so fantastic. I will say, having lived in Scandinavia, their their model, their work model is one that will be pleasant to work so, under, probably. Yeah. But you, you have to do stuff like that. You have to do HR. and, and Well, it, when I say HR... Um, like I'm, you went over and say, hey, Lisa. Well, yeah, there's three of you. <laughs> what I'm specifically referring to is um, how do we... Uh, you know, keep track of our performance right. um, mm-hmm. as a right. sort of a self-check, not because somebody's telling us to, but in terms of being self-critical. How mm-hmm. do we sort of look at what we're doing and say, hey, that right. worked well, that that didn't, that kind of thing. And does only writing go on in that office? Yeah. Or also, who does the tech side? Well, um, okay, okay, so I, I shouldn't say yes so readily. Um, it's not just writing. We do a lot, all the social media stuff. Mm-hmm. Which is fantastic. You have a ton of Twitter followers. Yeah, we're we're posting on on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Tumblr and things like that every day, um, and we're also whenever we write an article, like Lisa just wrote a piece that we published yesterday, where she interviewed the author of a book titled Killer Fashion, and she wrote about you know fashions throughout the ages that actually killed people. Um, Ooh, I need to talk to her. <laughs> Actually, one of my favorite pieces ever in Collectors Weekly was by Hunter and was uh, about fashion leading to execution during the French Revolution. So right. Similar theme. Yeah, you could yeah. Do an anthology. So this is the kind of stuff you can <laughs> well, expect to find. Right. And so when we, what I was getting at is that when we do those stories, we sit down and send emails to websites that we've – you know, um, uh. forge relationships with over the years. There's a lot of websites that are in the business of telling the world what's out on the web. And we're one of the f- relatively few websites that actually creates content that people tell other people about. And what's the business model? The business model are all those um, auctions at eBay, all those. I mean, on our site, you know, there's on any day, there's half a million to three quarters of a million links to live auctions on eBay. (coughs) And we get, you know, a a, nickel or dime or whatever when somebody buys something. And it's enough to pay our health insurance and rent here at the grotto and things like that. Um, So it's it's, it's a curious success story in publishing in that it's a business model that works for original content. Um, That said, I'm very quick to say that it's not a business model that works well for, say, a war correspondent sort of journalism Mm -hmm. or, you know, where you you don't have this, like, inventory of stuff stuff at eBay that people want to buy. Although I do Um, just want to say, for those who haven't read Collectors Weekly, the articles are not, for example, here's 12 kinds of collectible telephones and why they're good. They're actually narrative and they're fascinating. I remember Lisa had a story, I think, last year about hula girls. Yep. Um, that it was, I mean, it was political. Based on was, Connie's inter- interview with Connie. Yeah. Exactly, Connie Hale. Yeah. Um, you know, there there is a real, um, there is a journalistic element for sure. Right. We're we're not 
terribly interested in what stuff costs because right. that's a pretty short, boring conversation. <laughs> but what we are interested in is um, uh, the way I refer to it is sort of the, the social history of objects. Oh, yeah. You know, so if you're looking at a hula girl on a dashboard, what you know, what does that art, uh, object represent? Mm-hmm. It, it's a piece of plastic, but it also represents this kind of long history of you know sexism ab- about you know how women in on the Hawaiian Islands were viewed by all the you know all the, uh, these people who were intruding on their lands yeah. and yeah. stuff. So, is there any object that you guys don't deem worthy of a deep dive? Um, I I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm not really interested in writing about handguns. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know. I, but I bet you could find an angle. Oh, I know I could find yeah. an angle. I'm just personally not interested. I just don't give a shit, and I don't want to promote them. And uh, you know, so there's things where we just you know, if we don't want to write about something, we won't. The good news is there's far more objects in the world that have fascinating, interesting stories that few people know about. So there's lots of good, you know, material out it's there. It's funny. It, it reminds me of what Todd's doing with craftsmanship. Mm-hmm. You know, take the little oh, yeah. things that you may not have thought of and show yeah. how they can be so interesting. Yeah. Todd's doing similar things to what we're doing. He's he His angle is more specific. His mm-hmm. angle is more, you know, I don't know that we would ever, although we have, um, but I don't know that as a rule we would sort of focus on the, the, the craftsmanship mm-hmm. of an object. Um, we're, we're, again, we're more in sort of the social history, what the object represents and has represented throughout history. And who's, who's determining editorial direction? We do. Just off, it's, a, it's a total yeah. democracy in there? Um, yeah. I, I mean, I like to think wow. so. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, if I write something, Hunter and Lisa throw rocks at it. If Hunter writes something, they get edited by the two of us. I mean, you know, it's a pretty flat organization. I've got you know, this title of general manager, but we all work together, I, you know, at least I hope, <laughs> pretty, you know, pretty organically. It seems like it from the outside. They eat lunch together. I know. Yeah. That's, a, that's really a sign. Well, I, I eat at my desk too much probably. I do but, too. I yeah. Here within the grotto, there are people getting health insurance. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, I, hopefully we all have health insurance, but not necessarily from our writing lives. But from our, right. from yeah, our livelihoods. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. So. How did he get here? Exactly. Hippies, guns, and LSD. How did you get here? Oh, um, well, today I took the train, um, (laughs) but that's not what you mean. Um, No, and and the reason why I ask this, during the intro I brought up this idea that there are a lot of writers who do jump from lily pad to lily pad for Mm -hmm. part of their life Mm -hmm. and end up writing. Yeah. There's also a lot of writers that we've had in here who got an A on a paper when they were eight years old and went, oh, this is what I'm good at. Right. This is my fastball. That's not me. That's what I was wondering about because yeah. it seems like – Because otherwise, why the lobster? Why the lobster? Yeah. 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 No, I mean, um, for what it's worth, writings never come easy for me. How did you get there then? Uh, yeah. Well, specifically, I was um, – <laughs> I was running. I was uh, the director of this nonprofit arts organization in Seattle called the Center on Contemporary Art, and this was after having had an art gallery and running a restaurant and done a bunch of things. Um, but one of the specifically, how did I get to writing? I had to write a catalog essay for one of the shows that we were doing, mm-hmm. and um, so. Um, I started writing this thing, and I knew this writer. I think she was at the Seattle PI at the time, named Jane Lauder. 
And um, I said, hey, Jane, would you like take a look at this thing? And so I wrote my first draft and, you know, she threw up all over it because, of course, it was terrible. And, you know, and it was just all the usual stuff where there's like a turn of phrase that you're attached to for really poor reasons mm-hmm. and you just don't want to let them go. And, you know, it was all that kind of stuff. And, um, and so from that, I really um, found myself and then I wor- – I, was very briefly the director of uh, the LA Institute of Contemporary Art. Um, what? Which um, <laughs> which also demanded some writing. And wait a minute. We wait, 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 wait. Three wide. Like that's a major institution. Yeah. Well, it was struggling at the time. You know, at the time they were sort of using the NEA as a bank, and it was kind so of so. Is a mess. this the early eighties? Oh, gosh, what was it? It's like well, mid to like late eighties. So that's so when I used to visit LACMA quite a bit. No, no, not LACMA, oh. Laika. Oh, L-A-I-C-A. Oh. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, Okay, yeah. I'm like, because it seemed very thriving at the time. Okay. LA Institute of Contemporary Art, much smaller. Got it was it. down on Robertson. Got it, got it, got um, it. Yeah. Still, I mean, how did you get involved in the art world? Art administration. Yeah. Um well, so when we opened our restaurant, <laughs> so where was this restaurant in Belltown? Because I got to Seattle right after twenty three oh nine first uh, on first between Bell and Battery, and uh, we were uh, we opened at seventy eight, and uh, we were between two wino bars, the Seafarers and the <laughs> IXL, and they would have like happy hour at like ten in the morning, no. and so you'd see this like. Wavy procession of people. A little background for yeah. listeners and maybe for Ben. Uh, the neighborhood that he's talking about in Seattle right now is where there's high rises and yeah. hit hot restaurants and bars. And yeah. when I lived there, it was kind of in the middle. When yeah. Ben lived there, it was really it was like Charles it was w. where the Longshore. Well, it was where the Longshoreman's <laughs> Hall was, right. and, and yeah. a lot of these sort of nautical yeah. bars, not nautical themed bars. Yeah, places where sailors, sailors, sailors who were who yeah. were waiting to catch a ship, as Mister McPhee put it, <laughs> uh, those guys, and and they would hang out in bars and stuff, and. Um, there, there was also a lot of uh, Native Americans who were having had terrible alcoholism problems. Yeah, down and outers. It wasn't a, a happy scene, no, but we got 2,000 square feet for $250 a month. Those are the days. Wow. And so, um, so we opened a little restaurant in there. And um, the, what we realized was – and I, I wasn't looking for this actually, but what we realized was – that there were a lot of artists living in the neighborhood for the same reason that we had opened a restaurant in the neighborhood and the winos were there because it was cheap. cheap. Yeah. Yeah. And so we started doing food trades with artists for, you know, they would come in and stuff. And um, and we got, you know, I mean, people would be passing through from out of town. I mean, I remember one night we almost kicked Carl Andre out of our place because he was such an asshole. Really? I'm surprised to hear that. I, yeah, it's stunning, huh? Yes. You mm-hmm. heard it? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, there were much nicer people as well. And um, and that got me into uh, opening a little uh, gallery around the corner. And so by the time so we... So representing local artists. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, by the, and, and also I, I was trying to represent a Bay Area artist who... I grew up loving William T. Wiley, mm-hmm. and so I was trying to represent his work up there and not doing at all a good job at it. Um, Are you from the Bay Area? Yeah, I grew okay. up in San Rafael. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, w- I wasn't born here, but I grew up in San Rafael. So. so let's go all the way back there because I know you went— So that's where the art thing comes from and answer your question. Oh, 
Yeah. Uh, there's a little piece I want to know about, but we can go back to Santa okay. Fel. I first. interrupted you. Sorry. That's okay. I interrupted you. So it was like a multiple interrupt. It was a well, chain interruption. I don't want to make, I don't want to leap to conclusions, but you know where 420 started? Oh, Roosevelt High School? No. Oh, San, San Rafael, Rafael High. San Rafael High. Yeah, so I went to San Rafael High See? during the years 420 was coined. Mm-hmm. But I was too stoned to know that there was this cultural phenomenon <laughs> happening around When, when me. you're in ground zero, it's hard to know. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. yeah you got to get a little ways a little bit yeah. to get a 10,000-foot yeah. view. But from there— You're like the Zelig of— uh, <laughs> Exactly, yeah. <laughs> the West Coast. But from there, you went across the country for school. yeah. Yeah. So if you're not thinking I'm going to grow up and be a writer and have health insurance, what are you thinking at this point? And it's is this like uh, late 60s, early 70s? Uh, well, in, I graduated high school in 73 and I for some I got out a year early because uh, for some reason I had enough credits to get out a year early. And I was kind of, I mean, I liked. Don't do that anymore. I know. Uh, yeah, and I liked my friends, and I liked, you know, seeing concerts at Winterland and at the Lion's Share and things like that. But I really wanted to get out of um, Marin and the Bay Area. It was just. Well, that was like real Marin. Yeah, yeah. Like Cyrus McFadden, serial Marin. I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so I, I there was this. Um, School in upstate New York called Hobart and William Smith that I got accepted to. And it was um, base, you know, it, I didn't really, I mean, I again, I made good friends, some of whom I, you know, I'm still friends with today. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it was just like lots of beer and, uh, you know, it was just, it was, it just seemed ridiculous. <laughs> so I, I left after the whole two way. years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what made you choose Washington? Well, um, I, I, a friend of mine, the guy who I w- was my first roommate at Hobart, he had a brother in Maine. And so um, Scott and I were going to go. We were, I was going to take a year off in, between sophomore and junior year. And we were going to go see Scott's brother in Maine and go hike the Appalachian Trail. And we got as far as Scott's brother's place. And that first weekend, we were going to like, oh, we'll help him. He had a fishing boat. So we'll help fish for a weekend and make some money and then then keep going. And Scott ended up getting married. I stayed a year. I mean, we never got very far. Did you just work on the fishing boat the whole year? Yeah. Well, mostly uh, I worked worked on lobster boating, uh, a lobster boat for this guy named Paul. And he had a little boat called the Susie Q. And um, and uh, then he had uh, – God, another one. I'm forgetting the name. Boy, that's terrible. Um, and then um, I, I also worked with Paul uh, as a scallop dragger. And scallop season is the middle mm-hmm. of November until the middle oh. of May, which is really a that sounds awful. really tough time to be on the Atlantic. So yeah. I'm thinking at this point, not only are you not thinking I'm going to be a writer someday, you're thinking – I'm just going to work on these boats until I think of something better. Well, uh, you know, seriously, the um, I don't mean to be entirely glib. I mean, the serious reason, the thing that attracted me to the boats was in at Hobart, I had been taking all these classes in religious studies and, oh, really? and philosophy and reading Paulo Freire and, um, you know, all this stuff and um, the whole idea of, you know, life and praxis and work. And and I thought, well, yeah, I got to understand what real work is, where you're actually doing physical work. And so the fishing boat had that appeal to it because it was kind of like a, a physical test. Mm-hmm. 
And it turns out, of course, that physical labor is physical labor. And um, it it's cold. And it's really cold. It's, yeah. I had a long beard at the time, yeah. and it would be like covered with ice. Oh, like and, that. It seems you know. to be the mistake that a lot of young, high minded men make to think that there's some sort of. Ennobling quality? Well, I don't know that it's I don't a mistake. Ennobling? Oh, I, I was definitely blinkered in that way. Yeah, absolutely. But, you t- I mean, you do it and you find it, it's just it's work. Yeah, it's a lot. And of, it's hard. Yeah. It's a lot of hard work. Yeah. You know, and, you know, yeah, it was, it was um, but again, I'm, I'm so glad I did it because it gave me a love of the ocean. And then I went to University of Washington. I, I got into their, um, well, their, just their undergraduate program with a focus on oceanography. Because I thought, well, I really like being on the ocean. I really like geology. Maybe I could get um, some degree as a geological oceanographer or something like that. And uh, that lasted about a year. And then I, you know, had been working in restaurants. And before I knew it, we had opened our own. So let me ask you this: during this time, how big of a reader were you? Um, not a huge reader. Yeah, uh, not a not a huge reader. Um, I mean, I, I think, you know, I read all the stuff I was supposed to read in college. Um, in, at Hobart, I was introduced to George Eliot, and so I got to read Middlemarch, which I was just kind of blown away by, which is not a unique <laughs> response on my part. Um, but I, I read some of that stuff and, um, you know, read Lord of the Rings, things like that, um, science fiction. I read a lot of Philip K. Dick around that time. Very popular right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get to Washington, you have a restaurant, you get involved in the arts. Yeah. Now you're in L.A. Wait, there's a piece missing. Which one? Glass blowing. Oh, right. Glass blowing oh, with Dale Chihuly. Well, yeah. So after we got out of the restaurant biz, um, um, uh, also um, I met – um, my girlfriend, now wife, there. That's so, the we you speak of. Yeah, so in Seattle, you mean? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So we survived working together. She's a, a Seattle, Seattle girl. Uh, no, she oh. was from uh, uh, Wisconsin. Oh, yeah, but she was there before me. Yeah, so she she was working in um, this little cafe called the Washington Post Cafe in Fremont. And I was trying to get a job there, um, mostly because I just thought she was cute. And um, and uh, so she was like the person who was sort of showing me the ropes a little bit. And I had like lied about, you know, how much I knew about cooking. Um, oh. You're trying to get a job cooking. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, <laughs> Back in the house. and so, you know, there was this recipe that called for whipping egg whites. And so I had a fork. And a stainless steel bowl, and I whipped them for a little while, and I showed them to Pat. I said, "Is this enough?" And she's like, "This guy doesn't know how to cook." You know? <laughs> so she she kind of showed me a few things, and um, yeah. And here you are. Yeah. So I, I but I derailed. I don't know what. Yeah, there's no, there's Chihuly. Chihuly. Oh, Chihuly. Oh, yeah. Chihuly so time. right. Yeah. So when we um, and we had another partner named Phil. Um, but when we um, got out of the restaurant, and I guess it was like eighty three or four. Um, 83, um, we had gotten to know all these glass blowers, and because we were, that's where it was happening. Because a lot of artists were coming into our place, and the, the glass blowers who ran a studio called The Glass Eye, they were right around the corner in the market, in the Pike Place market. So um, we knew these people, and, and there was an opening for the cook job at the Pilchuck 
Glass Center, the Pilchuck <laughs> Art Center, Glass mm-hmm. Center, um, Glass School, I believe it's called. Um, and so we applied, and Pat and I got the job to be the cooks at Pilchuck, which meant that we got time on the pad, on the you know blowing glass or doing whatever we wanted certain hours of the day. So did you get instruction in glass blowing, and then you well, doing yeah, it? I got instruction from like people who were blowing glass for Dale Chihuly. Yeah. So yeah. it was kind of like I was learning from these amazing people so just cool. on off hours, right? And um, and they were just a really good group of people. And then that fall, they um, it, that was still. And then back in those days, Dale would rent Pilchuck, the hot shop, um, as his personal studio mm-hmm. to produce his right. stuff. And so they needed somebody to continue to cook and help out around the pad and stuff like that. And so. Um, I did that for the fall. Do you fall. still do any glass? No, I, I haven't blown glass in years. But um, Fun fact that in San Francisco, there's a place called Public Glass yeah. where you can rent time, rent space, yeah. take classes. It's yeah. amazing if you ever want to check it out. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know that my back is, that is, might be true. Uh, <laughs> would allow me to do it anymore. But Wait, um, it's hard on the back? <laughs> yeah. Do you still cook? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, cooks, not, but doesn't blow glass. Cooks, but doesn't yeah. blow glass. Oh, yeah. yeah, but Pat is the baker. And then our kids have gotten, um, you know, Pat's been the one who's, like, really passed on cooking secrets to them. Both of our sons can make pie crusts that will make mm. you cry. Oh, what became of Phil? Uh, Phil is still up in the Northwest, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we stay in touch every once in a while. <laughs> Facebook friends. <clears throat> okay, so now we've got you in L.A. Oh, yeah. Let's get you up to San, back to San Francisco. And was that a hard decision to move back to the Bay Area? Well, um, um, actually, hmm. was it a hard decision to leave Seattle? Uh, well, Pat, you know, it, Pat really wanted to try to be an actor down in uh, L.A., and so that's why we moved to L.A. And so, wow. coincidentally, I sort of lined up some employment for myself. Um, but yeah, in L- so in L.A., what happened was is that I, I worked for all of nine months at this nonprofit, Leica, and um, one of the people I had um, been interviewed by when I got the job was uh, uh, an art critic named Christopher Knight, who I believe at the time was working for the Herald, or I think he's now the L.A. Times art critic. I'm not sure. Um, but I asked Christopher how he got into being an art critic. And he said, well, basically, he just pretended he was an art critic and started writing articles and sending them to editors. So after I got, you know, laid off or quit, I quit actually from Leica, um, I started doing the same thing. And I just would start writing articles and send them to editors. And finally, one of them said, you know, yeah, I've gotten the last four things you've sent me. I don't want any of them, but would you do, would you take this assignment to write about this April Gornick show at Cal State Long Beach? And I you, think it was. How was your confidence level in your writing at the time? Um, probably. Um, uh, Higher than it should have been. It's the, I think uh, it's actually the only way to start. Yeah. Well, ignorance out. is bliss. Completely. Well, but but yeah. I kind of want to get in your head here. You've done so many things. What made you decide, you know what, I'm going to try freelance writing? Well, um, first of all, I, I wasn't thinking particularly carefully about what kind of career there was. Although at the time in the mid 
to late 80s, there were still things called magazines and newsstands. And and, and L.A., anyone who's been to L.A., you know that L.A. was this great city, or Mm. still is for all I know, this great city for newsstands. And Mm. there were like these main ones Mm. in certain parts of town where it was just like you could just go there and hang out and look through the newsstand. And it was was really cool. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, magazines and being a magazine writer was a good deal sexier uh, a prospect than it is right now. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, and most things. Are. Yeah, in L.A. there was L.A. Style, which was this big glossy fashion slash art thing. Um, there was Angeles, which I ended up working for. Um, Angeles was sort of like Architectural Digest for mm-hmm. West L.A., which is slicing that yeah. slicing that really fine. That you know? a person could make a living, right? Yeah, and there was you know there was a magazine called Egg that opened up, and you know and, uh, just all these you know it was it was an interesting time to be in magazines. It seemed, and you ended up in magazines. Yeah, yeah, I worked for Angeles, and then when you started freelancing, you you covered a lot of beats. Just from what little I gleaned from your bio, right? So, so you know what I what I realized right away was that um, I wasn't going to make a lot of money as an art critic. Mm-hmm. So, so what I tried to do was position myself. Um, writing about artists. So in other words, to do a profile about an artist right. and then talk about, get come at their their work, the content of what they do that way. And did you do that thinking, well, now I'm showing that I can write profiles? I, I very much did it. Very, It was very deliberate on my part. It was to um, sort of get out of this way too narrow of a niche mm-hmm. that the art that art criticism seemed to be. Plus I, I to be honest, I didn't care right. enough about the um, the language and the um, the the tropes of art criticism. I, I mean I really at a certain point I didn't care about you know which painting was you know more earnest or mm-hmm. serious than which other some other painting. And at the time, did you give any thought to the difference in roles between a critic and a feature writer? Um, yeah, I mean certainly. Yeah, one one you were you had kind of like this license to say what you thought, and presumably it was backed up by some intelligence that you gleaned somehow. Mm-hmm. And usually for art critics, art critics, it was they went to Yale or something like that and studied it. Um, and I had zero of that background. So I was kind of that making it good. up. I thought you'd be seething over that given your background. <laughs> Me? Yeah, you have the background. I, but that's the reason I would be interested in reading the criticism of someone who doesn't is because it would be interesting and have some freshness. <laughs> I mean, especially in the 80s, theory was just dripping from everything. Everything right. in a way that was just soul killing. Right, and the, the the people on the board at Leica were a lot of these, um, you know, Cal Arts conceptual art right. folks. Then, you know, John Baldessari was on our who board. Who I love. He was yeah. super cool. Yeah. You know, there were there were you know lots of other people. Um, I mean, I met really really interesting people. Right. I, don't, I don't mean to be so dismissive of the well, experience. Well, I think that the difference is John Baldessari is making art, mm-hmm. the kind of totally hermetic art criticism that can spring up from that same movement that's not art yeah. is really dead, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, I found that. Really I, just, I just knew that I was never going to be able to do that. Yeah. And I knew also knew that to be an actual, you know, capital letters art critic, you kind of had to be able to do that. At least 
occasionally. Then, yeah. And certainly then. So, yeah, right. So, so to answer your question, yeah, I was trying to position myself as somebody who could do something a little more general. And so a profile of an artist was something that I had nominal qualifications to do, right? Mm-hmm. So that was kind of like my first step. But once you've shown you can do that, you can write a profile of anyone. Right, right. And that's actually a pretty – in LA, that's a great thing. Because right? everybody's well, there. Yeah. The, the other thing that's that was money the other thing that was interesting in retrospect about um, Angelus, uh, which w- the editor was Joanne Jaffe, who was really sh- and she and and then Susan Hager was on staff too, who's a really good writer. I shared an office with her, and Joanne would write something in the margins, stuff in the margins like "hate this," you know, awful. I mean, <laughs> you know, so she was like, I, if I could get past Susan and Joanne. I mean, it was like that was a lot. But that's, that so, serves you well in the long run. Yeah, those, kill you. those two people taught yeah. me more about writing than anyone since. And from there, did you expand and start doing profiles of everyone? Well, it wasn't just profiles. And, and this is what's so interesting is to me, I guess, maybe people listening won't think it's interesting. But to me, it's interesting because one of my jobs at Angelus was to – um, edit the Society page with Joan mm. Quinn, and um, who was a West Coast editor for Interview at the time, and whose husband Jack Quinn represented, you know, Charles Keating, and, and you know, and oh really? Yeah, wow, and and, like and, and Joan would, and Joan would be saying, "Well, I shouldn't tell you this, but <laughs> like, Ooh, ears open." <laughs> but the other thing I did was I edited this um, page, and I often had to write a short essay for this page um, and boy I am just blanking out on what the page was called but it was stuff and so it would be a whole two spread uh, feature on pewter or on um, you know um, uh, folk art masks Wow! So or, there's this direct you know, connection, right? So I would, you know, sit there, and we, I would, we had this library of books, and I would go into these library of books, and I would learn all I needed to learn in a day right. on pewter, right. and I would write about it, and then Joan, I would send the man, I would send it to Joanne, she would write, hate this, you know, and <laughs> and, and it would get kicked back, what and I would thinking? polish yeah. it, and. Um, and in a weird sort of way, Hidden Treasures, it was called. And in a weird sort of way, Hidden Treasures became – I didn't know it would become useful for anything years later. But it became very useful for Collectors Weekly where we actually go into these things called books and we do research and we – Do you go into books? Because I wondered oh, yeah. about that because you're in a pretty small office. We have, Well, you've seen the books in our office. Yeah. In our former office, we had a wall – that was 11 by 11 feet that was filled with books. And mm-hmm. and there's probably about 1,000 books right now that are in boxes and storage mm-hmm. um, because, you know, we've we've now written the thing we're going to write about Georgian furniture. Right, and I so see. we don't need that book anymore. It. And, and at some point we're going to have to do something with all those you books. You have an auction, yeah, yeah, a collector's you, weekly book auction. Yeah, penny yeah, of books. Is- <laughs> Just to interrupt your life story for a moment, what is the process in Collectors Weekly? You get an idea. Mm-hmm. Do you, you discuss the idea with each other and go, "Let's go"? Yeah. And um, then how do you that begin was a researching? Yeah. It? Well, it, yeah, yeah, because it's, because you know it's it's sort of like um, Hunter will Hunter who actually builds the category pages that the essays get you know cut and pasted that we write get cut and pasted into. 
Hunter will notice something in the culture that he thinks mm-hmm. is interesting, or he'll notice something that he'll see an article about um, an object, and or you know, and, and realize, oh, we don't have a page for that, or we'll. Um, you know, Lisa will remind me that we don't have a page for the New England Patriots or the F- Philadelphia Lisa Eagles. Lisa will remind you of that? Yes, wow. Lisa will remind me of that. I meant to tell you, I saw they had something about Patriots football cards. What are those called? Collectible cards? Yeah, football cards. Football cards, football cards. right. And just as an insight, listeners, you want to see how the sausage is made here at the Grotto. Hunter yeah. yesterday created the Grotto's Slack, making him the Grotto's designated favorite millennial. Yes, yeah. that's true. He did get yeah. designated fav- favorite millennial status yeah. yesterday, yeah. So which comes you- right before the revolution. When they- <laughs> so <laughs> the, I, I guess the reason why I was um, giving you a lukewarm agreement to that is that it's, it's not like – I mean we do sit down every week and have a meeting where we talk about stuff. And sometimes those meetings are more productive than other times. But off, also it's just kind of up to us to see things in the world and in the culture and in the place that we live and, and just kind of notice that, oh, wait, we don't have a category on such and such. That's ridiculous. Once you get an idea, where do you start with research? you start with your books? Um, we either start with the books or we'll um, – sometimes a idea for a new category page will come out of an article that Give we're writing. Give me an idea of what a category page is. Like a category page, like for example um, – we have a whole family of baseball memorabilia pages. And so one of the categories in there are baseball cards. And another category are tops baseball cards. And another one would be rookie baseball cards. And another one would be baseball bats. And on and you can see where this goes, right? right? Endless. And, yeah. Like, yeah. And, and, and so in a, you know, from a business standpoint, everything is kind of keyed to, well, what sort of inventory is there on eBay? That's going to be good for users. And also I should mention that we filter eBay pretty severely. Like we don't show any buy it now stuff on eBay. And we also don't show any auctions unless somebody's bid on them. So Uh the the logic being that there has to be one person on the planet who believes this thing is actually worth something. Otherwise, we don't even bother with it. Right. Um, So, so yeah, so we look at, you know, kind of what's happening in the world. We look at, you know, what the inventory is on eBay. We get a little, you know, now that we're part of Barnaby's, we're – Starting to get some help, very helpful intelligent on kind of hey here's here's some pe- searches people are doing that relate to your area that you don't have categories for, so that's good to yeah, know yeah. as well. Um, because it shouldn't just be about what we like. I mean, that would it can get very limited, especially geographically. Yeah, yeah. So we try to make sure that we're you know that we have input that is not just us. Right. All right. Back to your life story. Oh, let's get you to San Francisco. Oh, yeah. Why not? What were the circumstances that led to this move? Well, um, you know, we we had a um, – well, Pat had two kids. <laughs> I was only peripherally involved. And, <laughs> but um, essential. And uh, so we had kids uh, – what? Um, you know, all of my family is up here. And the the thought of these kids seeing their cousins and their grandparents and stuff just all of a sudden didn't didn't seem very bad. It seemed like a good idea. And um, coincidentally, um, I wrangled a job for myself at Sunset. I was going to say Sunset Sunset, must figure into this. Yeah. So Sunset um, 
you know, paid to move us. And um, it was, I mean, you know, the truck pulled up in front of this house that we're Whoa. still renting, by the way, all these years later, like 25 oh years later. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, the truck pulled up in front of our house, and the first thing that came off of it was this little tiny um, Honda Civic that they backed off, and I got into it and drove to work. And you know, it, the expression, the, day. the expression on Pat's face is this moving truck is unloading everything, and she's there with a uh, yeah. you know three year old, a six kids. month old was. Uh, oh my god! I thought it worked. She was not happy. You survived her. Yeah. yeah. Did oh. she have to give up her acting dreams? No, no. She's still been well. You know, we weren't in L.A. anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, she was part. Of, you know, the coolest thing she did down there. She was part of this. Uh, she and some friends put together this thing called the Girl Group of Comedy, and they would uh, perform at you know little improv places down mm-hmm. in Santa Monica. That was fun. And now she's working, you know, she's performing in, in live theater in down on the peninsula and in San Jose, and uh, she's performed at the Magic and done some things like that. And she also does costumes, so she's stayed very involved in the. In the good, performance a, art world, that's a challenge. Leaving LA, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you were involved in it. It wasn't Sunset Magazine, though, right? Was it Sunset Publications? No, uh, well, when I started, I was at the magazine, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I, I took over. I sat where Bruce Kelly when he left to to go to health, mm-hmm. and um, so I took over after he left. Like, and, and in some ways, it seems like Sunset is good training for Collectors Weekly because it is sort of a sim. Maybe it's object-oriented. Yeah, it's object-oriented. Well, it's definitely interested in the hist- in mm-hmm. history. Yeah, that too. And, and it definitely valued history. Um, um, so I started out, um, I eventually became the travel editor at Sunset. That sounds like a good wow. gig. It was a sweet totally gig. Yeah. Yeah. gig. Did yeah. you get to travel? Yeah, and we would like, you know, the, we would go with the kids. and oh, on Sunset. Yeah, so and it was good. really fun. It was, that, that part of it was good. I mean, you know, our, I mean, our uh, our kids would um, get very spoiled because we'd go to Disneyland, and you know, my friend John had set everything up, and you know, we'd be in this nice room, and there'd you know be plushies on their pillows, and you <laughs> yeah. know, and it was just like, yeah, and and anyway, it was uh, you know, but I mean, then that whole time, I, we we would be staying in places, um, you know, with like. We'd be broke, but we'd be staying in these, you know, like $600 a night suites. I wonder that's, if that's that still exists writer-y. anymore. I mean, so many magazines have folded that There's did that kind of – There's a lot of things Ben has talked about that don't exist I, anymore. I, I do wonder. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry. <laughs> but, I, but I do want to say to young writers that it is my deepest held conviction that nothing is wasted. And I think looking at your life, for example, the places that – your interest took you. Mm-hmm. They've all added up to where you are, yeah. And yeah. they all feed that, and you know, nourish your abilities in that way. And I think it's really easy to feel like, oh, I don't have a novel by the time I'm 25. It's never going to happen. But, but no, it all just, builds. Yeah. I think that's what I think. No, I agree. And I was going to make a big sweeping statement about ending up at Collectors Weekly, but not yet because first. I really want to hear about the Poster Society and how you got involved oh, in oh, that. Yeah. yeah, so the Rock Poster Society is um, its a little nonprofit. We do a big show in Golden Gate Park every October and a smaller show somewhere else every summer. And it's a I, somewhere else because it's never the same place, usually twice. Um, and, um, you know, part of when I was growing up, I was always interested in – Art, fine art. I was always, you know, um, my mom had 
uh, introduced me to the work of William Wiley and Arthur Dove and all these different artists mm-hmm. whose work I continue to love and admire to this day. And also, because I was into music, somehow or another, I don't know how it was, but I ended up, I, I must have signed up for it. I ended up on the Fillmore's mailing list. So I was a little kid. I had these, you know, Fillmore postcards. <laughs> kid. With, well, yeah, yeah. I had these Fillmore well, yeah. postcards with my um, name and address on them. Cool. And so that was always like the beginning of my interest in rock posters is that I it, it kind of married the two things I really, really loved, which was visual art and music. It was kind of in one package, right? And, and you guys feature posters not only from the 60s but leading up to the present, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so, the, so uh, about 10 years ago, I guess it was, and the Rock Poster Society has been around for longer than that, but about a, 10 years ago, I started paying attention and realized that, yeah, I really did love rock posters and maybe I should – become a volunteer with this group and um and that's what i've been doing for the past 10 years you know not every day obviously mm-hmm. um and yes you know we focus i mean we'll have uh stanley mouse and victor moscoso and lee conklin and all these people from the 60s david singer who's gotten to be a friend of mine um, you know, all these folks from the 60s will be at their shows as well as Chuck Sperry and Alexandra Fisher and Chris Shaw and um, Gary Houston and Amick. And, Do you keep your eyes open? I mean, when, whenever you see new – I don't know where you would see new rock posters, but when you see new rock posters – Well, Collector's like, Weekly mm. has a very good music oh, posters really? page, you see. Yeah. I'll have to check that I'll out. I bet it's excellent. <laughs> I did notice when, when just uh, Googling you, yeah. a lot of very interesting stories about music that I have now bookmarked that I want to read. Well, because I was involved with, um, I guess, both Collector's Weekly and Trips, the Rock Poster Society, um, I was asked a few years ago, I was asked to curate a show at the airport on rock posters, and there were like about 200 of them Mm. that I borrowed from different people I know, and and I wrote some essays for that, and uh, uh, wrote an article for Collectors Weekly in which we interviewed um, Dennis Moscofian, whose dad ran Tila Trek Litho, which printed most of the Fillmore posters, and I learned things like the same paper stock that was used for the Jimi Hendrix flying eyeball poster in 1968 was also used by Bird's Eye for to package frozen foods. <laughs> That's there's something That's a little John McPhee about that. And and yeah. often the uh, the literally railroad car loads of paper that Bill Graham was buying for Tila Trek to print these posters right. would cause. Bird's eye to go short on its um, preferred product. There you go. I mean, so interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I love stuff like oh, that. Oh, me too. I love it. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> so now, you know, we, we've really over the last hour painted a picture of someone who's had a lot of stops in life. Yeah. And now you're at Collectors Weekly. You've been here for almost ten years. Yeah. Is this it? Is this is this your? Is this the culminating? <laughs> is this my last job? <laughs> is this the culminating experience <laughs> of your life? Waltz. And we've also painted a picture that so many things led up to this point. Yeah, you know that all made sense. Is is this the crowning glory of your life? As oh, a I don't professional know. Life. 
Yeah, I have no idea. Tell me. No, <laughs> I won't. I mean, at sunset, somebody uh, – we were doing a, a, an off-site retreat planning thing one time, and we were talking about our aging demographic at sunset. And a writer down in Southern California named David Lansing said, we should do an article called Your Last Vacation. Oh. And I thought that – I just thought the, you know, the dark humor of that was so oh, perfect. Hilarious. So your question is, is this my last job? Yes, I mean, I always think of stuff like that. That, you know, so. I actually thought of it because I have a former coworker whose dream was to be managing editor of Sunset. That was mm. always her dream, and she is now. Oh, that's but, incredible! But she achieved her dream, mm-hmm. and I don't know. Do you have a dream job? Do you have a dream I, job? I feel like I have my dream job. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. I mean, uh, mine was to pitch for the Mets, and it never happened. I don't do so. this. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting in this tiny room. Yes, this is my dream Although, job. I do like this. I like this a lot. I mean, I do feel like. The thing I always wanted to do was write books. That's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I get to do that, and I can't believe it. I think, yeah. ben, I think Ben's got a few more tricks up his sleeve. I think so, too. Yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, obviously, Collectors Weekly's really been a gift. And, uh, you know, there's just no two ways about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, how long it's going to last? It's it's lasted a whole lot longer than I thought it would. I mean, originally, it was like a two-week you know, mm-hmm. thing. It's just it, a lobster boat thing. Well, <laughs> yeah, it was just a lobster boat, boat thing. Well, longer, it too. was like two weeks, and then can you do it for a month? Can you do it for the summer? What about through the fall? I mean, it was, you know, it took two years for it to even be, you know, like right. an How is its a economic thing, yeah. health these days? Oh, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So it could go indefinitely. Yeah, yeah. I and, mean, what and I love about it is just it. it it's a model that works. I mean, it's exciting to see. Yeah. Well, and it's and you know, I mean, uh, I, I don't mean to make a plug for our new owners, but I mean, it, seriously, Barnaby's is like they totally get it and they get mm-hmm. why what we do in the way we do it is useful mm-hmm. and important, and also they're you know putting some engineering time into making the site better. It's now, you know, mobile friendly. It wasn't a month and a half ago. So wow, that's wow. Yeah. So I mean it's you know, to see that kind of energy come in, it's uh, you know, it's it's kinda cool to have this new this new partner. That's exciting. Fantastic. We are out of time. It's perfect timing though. First thing, Ben, tell us the address of Collectors Weekly. Uh, CollectorsWeekly.com. Simple. One word. Oh so smart. Uh, you guys are Twitter too. Yeah, I'm sure we are. Yeah. Just Collectors Weekly. Yeah. Such good I think Twitter. I think it's uh, WKLY for Twitter. Okay, uh, at Collectors WKLY. Yeah. Do you you don't have a personal website or anything? I don't. No. Okay. Doesn't I, need it, man. I know Bridget Quinn does. Why don't you tell us what it is? <laughs> Before I say that, someone was laughing at. This event I was at the other day saying you couldn't misspell your own name. Oh, yes, and I was you like, can. And I said, yeah, actually, you can. Anyway, um, you can find me at Bequintrust, B-Q-U-I-N-N, Trust. You can find me on Twitter and what's the other one? Instagram? Instagram. At that Larry Rosen. And, of course, my website for my other podcast is isitgoodforthejews.com. Uh, as for us here at the Grotto Pod... We want everyone to subscribe. We want everyone to subscribe. And tell their friends. We want you to follow us on Twitter at The Grotto Pod. Oh, yeah, we do want that. you to send us email yeah. at grottopod at gmail.com. Do it. Who 
produce this podcast. You know who it is? I know who it is. And I want to tell everyone, and I want to say thank you to Beth Weingarner, Lee Kravitz, and Lori Ann Doyle. And I want to thank Sugartown for awesome tunes. And I want to thank Ben for coming on in here. It's sort of like bookends, Dennis McNally and Ben. I know. (laughs) Living these lives we Gen Xers can only imagine. (laughs) Because we've been constrained our whole lives. I know. We've been ruined Uh, by the fun they had before To be a young man with a bindle stiff over his arm, riding the rails. (laughs) Alas. That's enough. BQ, take us all. Okay, read, write, and just keep working. 